Our Bible sermon scripture reading today comes from the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. If you have your Bible with you, or you can look at it on the screen as well. The Apostle Paul writes these words, he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's pray. Father, would you just send your Holy Spirit now to come and anoint my words? Would you please give us illumination into this passage? Would you please help us to understand it correctly? And may it be a source of encouragement and hope for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I grew up in St. Louis, and the first time I ever went away from home was when I went off to college. I was excited in many ways, but also nervous, and my reason for suspicion and nervousness was confirmed pretty quickly once I got to university because I felt ex extremely homesick. Throughout the fall, throughout the spring, throughout the winter, it was hard to be away for the first time ever and figure out how to do life on my own, so to speak. And when I would return home for spring break, I would drive kind of fast going home and spend winter break at home in the summertime and felt a tremendous amount of encouragement. I think the thing that got me through any level of homesickness that I felt in the first year or the second year was the knowledge that if I wanted to, I could return home anytime I, I wanted. That's kind of what Paul is saying in this passage about the relationship of Christ's return for his people and our personal encouragement and comfort. This passage that we're looking at is in 1 Thessalonians. It's a New Testament letter written by Paul. And what Paul is doing in all of his letters, he doesn't just say what he wants to say. He says what God inspires him to say. And from a human perspective, he deals with real needs in the church. This is not a letter written to an individual, but it was written to a church. And in this particular church, 
many people died. And the church was struggling because they were grieving tremendously. And they were not really sure about what happens after death and what about the return of Christ and how does this affect the people who have gone home to be with the Lord. And one of their mistaken assumptions was that because some have died, they were going to miss the second coming of Christ. They were struggling tremendously. And what Paul doesn't do is make fun of them, but he actually informs them and blesses them because grief is real and he wants to provide encouragement for them. We too know what it's like to feel the grief of a loved one when they die. Death was not a part of God's original plan, but as a consequence of the original sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Original sin is not the first sin they committed, but the effects of the sin that they committed. And part of that is death. And now, now we're in the middle because Christ has died and rose from the dead. And then he's coming back. Now we're in this interim period of waiting and when, when will he return? And so death and grief can be very normal and natural. Uh, the grief that we feel from death can be very hard. But what, what this passage teaches is that the, the resurrection and return of Christ provides hope in death. Because of what Christ has done, we have tremendous amount of hope for our deathbed for what happens when those in Christ pass away. And this is admittedly a difficult passage. It's a hard message to preach. Many people don't like hearing about this topic. But we have to reckon with it. And the Bible has a lot to say about this topic. And we start in verse 13 where Paul encourages his audience to be informed about the return of Christ and the ramifications of it. This is what he says. He says this, Verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. When he says asleep, he's not talking about taking a nap. He's not talking about the eight hours you need at night, seven hours or six hours or nine hours of sleep. He's not literally meaning sleep. Asleep is another word for dead. That's just how they talked back then. So Paul, already in his letter, right, it's chapter, chapter 4, he's addressing the issue that we're looking at today. Chapter 1 talks about other stuff, chapter 2, other stuff, chapter 3, other stuff. It's the end of the letter. Now he's talking about, hey, now about those people in your congregation who have passed. Let me, I don't want you to be uninformed. So let, me, let me inform you about this. That's kind of a common way that Paul wrote. Now he's talking about something hard. He's talking about death. And as soon as we hear that word death or dead, we, we feel all kinds of feelings of, of fear. One, one study done by Chapman University in 2016 said that death was one of the highest ranking fears for the American people. They said that a loved one dying is a major fear of upwards to 40% of the population. Paul doesn't say, hey, don't have no fears. He didn't say that. Fear is natural because death is hard. But what he says is, like, we can't get around this. It's too late. Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve already fell in the Garden of Eden. 
It's the effects of sin. Death is here. We have to reckon with it. We cannot live in denial. So he says, I, I want to inform you. This knowledge of understanding God and what he's going to do when he returns helps us, provides comfort. But staying in ignorance might lead to suspicion and speculation and doubt and increased fear. In the book of Genesis, when Jacob thought that Joseph, his son, had passed away, he, he thought that a fierce animal devoured his own son. The scriptures say that then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son for many days. And many people got up and tried to encourage him and help him and bless him in his grief and he said, everyone get away from me. You don't understand this. He wanted to lament and mourn, but suddenly later he, he found out his son was alive. Joseph didn't pass. That gave him great encouragement. He was misinformed, then he became informed. So if we're misinformed about what the Bible teaches about this, or if we're like purposely like, I don't, I don't want to deal with that, that's a hard subject. Let me, let, me, let me live in denial or try to block out those feelings. That makes it hard too. We, we have to reckon with this and be informed about the end times and have a proper understanding. And so Paul says, hey, we don't want you to be informed. I want to write this to you. And this knowledge of Christ's return and what it does, does many things. One of them, verse 13, he says, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Notice, Paul says, hey, when a Christian dies, don't grieve at all. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say you can't cry. He doesn't say, come on, guys, what are you doing? Don't you believe in Jesus? What are you crying about? He doesn't say that. That's spiritual abuse if people do that kind of stuff. He's saying, hey, you, you, can, you can grieve, just make sure that your grief is filled with hope. You, you can lament. We just did a whole summer psalm series. There was all kinds of lament. Remember we learned that lament is turning to God in prayer, not, not trying to do our own thing, but going to God in prayer, boldly confessing the raw emotional feelings that we have. Asking God for deliverance and then turning away and trusting God. We, we can lament and grieve and cry and spend 20 days, 30 days, 40 days, whatever it is that we need to grieve properly. We are, we are not stoics. Nevertheless, what Paul is doing is saying, you can grieve, please grieve, but do it appropriately in the sense of have hope when you grieve. This is only possible if the person that died is a Christian, if they believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, have received him as Lord and Savior. Because Paul knows, and the church, at Thessalon uh, the church that he writes to knows, and he's trying to inform them that when a believer dies, they go to be with Christ. You know, Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain, plus advantage, better. They're saying there's no more sin, there's no more sorrow, there's no more sickness. And if you are a Christian and someone that you love is a Christian, it will be very hard, but because of Christ, you'll see them again. And not only that, because of Christ, they're in a better place. That sounds cliche, it's actually true. So Paul is saying, yes, you can grieve, but make sure that your, your grief is structured with hope. Because of Christ, we do have hope. 
And he does a comparison here between those who have faith in Christ and those who don't. He says this, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So if someone doesn't turn from sin and believe in Christ, when they die, there is no more hope. There's only eternal condemnation as a just payment for not turning from sin and believing in Christ. And so in the interim now, God hasn't returned yet because in part he's patient in giving people everywhere who have not repented and trusted in Christ time to do so. But his patience will run out. His patience doesn't last forever. When an unbeliever dies, it's unspeakably horrible. Those who put their hope in this world alone have no hope when they grieve. But for the people of God, we do. So Paul is comparing the way a believer grieves compared to the way a non-believer grieves. Right before his death for his faith in Christ, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, this is the end, but for me, it is the beginning, the beginning of life. So one of the ways, knowledge doesn't solve everything. Sometimes people are really smart and have all these degrees and read a lot, and it doesn't really get to their heart. But knowledge is a good start for the Holy Spirit to work to get this information in our heart. So like the church that Paul writes to, we, we have to be informed of Christ and what the scriptures teach about the end times and the realities of heaven and the truth of scripture should affect us and help us to grieve properly when those who go home to be with the Lord. And right in the middle of this, verse 14, Paul says, this, this is why all of this hope the only religion that provides hope is Christianity. This is, the, this is the reason why right here, verse 14, he says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. He's going he's gonna to give his argument here in a second in the rest of the passage. But this is the main crux of why we have hope. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That, that's part of the gospel message, the good news, which is the response to the bad news. The bad news being that, we are sinners by nature and by choice. And although God created a perfect world in the beginning, Adam and Eve represented us in the Garden of Eden and sin, and that sin affects our relationship with God. But the good news is that God sent Jesus to live the perfect life. He never sinned. He died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead as a substitute for our penalties. And if we believe in him, and trust them, if God grants us faith, all of our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. It's not about our works. It's not about what we can do to muster our way to God, but simply believing and trusting in Christ. There's a way to escape God's wrath through believing in Jesus. That's the good news. There's hope. So since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, this is the basis of the hope that the Christian religion provides. And then what Paul does is get to the juicy part that a lot of people like to focus on. The return of Christ and in the air and in the clouds. And what's, what's going on here with this? Well, there's, there's so much to say. This requires a whole sermon series and many books. But we can, we can sum up what Paul says in five points in the next few verses. He says, 
he essentially says this. People want to know what's going to happen where he addresses it right here. He says this. First, Jesus himself will descend from heaven to come back for his people. So Jesus is not sending an assistant. Let me send you my executive pastor. Let me send you my angel over here. Let me send you this person. No, no, no. Jesus himself is coming back, which is amazing to think about. Christ in his royal position. Many people who are kingly like to have other people do the dirty work, like to send other people. He says, Jesus himself will descend from heaven. And then he says this, summing this up here, this, these verses. When he does, it will be dramatic in a good way. Uh, it will be loud with the sound of a trumpet and the voice of an archangel. The point of putting that part in there is because the people at Thessalonica thought they were going to miss it. Paul's like, you're not going to miss it, don't worry. It's going to be really loud, and everyone everywhere will hear about it, okay? So don't worry. Uh, when Jesus returns, he will bring all of his people in heaven with him, just summing up the passage here. Uh, if you are still alive when the Lord returns, which we do not know, it could be any minute, what, what he's saying here is that you will be caught up if you are a believer in the clouds to meet the Lord and his people in the air. And then all of God's people will dwell with Christ and Christ's people forever in the new heavens and new earth. Wow. There's a lot going on there. But it's actually really practical. This can seem kind of confusing, but it's really practical. So much to say, but let me just say a couple of points that I think may be useful. One, we do not know when Christ will return. Therefore, it is unhealthy and unwise to speculate about the time. There was a book released in 1988 called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. It didn't happen, in case you're wondering. Every two months or three months, you get on the news or social media, there's somebody predicting end time, here's the book, here's the formula, I, I've discovered, look at this one obscure verse in Isaiah, then Revelation, there's a 9 there and a 10 there, so you might be coming back on September 10th, and blah, blah, blah. it's like, no, that's not the point of that passage. This, this happened to me in a previous ministry context where someone came to me, and for years and years, he studied in private and came up with a calculation of when he thought Christ would return. And he said, what do you think about this? <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't, Jesus says he doesn't know when he's going to come back, so I don't, I don't think this was necessary. You know, I didn't say it quite that bluntly, but I just tried to lovingly say, oh, this is not the point. Jesus says this in Matthew 24, 36, he says, but concerning that day and hour... No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So if someone says they know when Jesus will return, they're, they're actually saying they have more knowledge than Jesus does. So you're, you're putting yourself above the second person of the Trinity with respect to when he will return. Wow, you're an elite company. Right, so we, we, should, not, we should not speculate about 
this month, this time, that, that's really not the point. It's actually very unhealthy to do that. So if you hear someone doing that, I, mean, I give you permission to ignore them lovingly. Just say, brother, sister, I, I love you. Thank you for your study. Just, this is actually not the point. Let me tell you what the point is. What's the point? What's, what's all this end time stuff about that Paul addresses? Well, you see, it's in relation to somebody who died. Not some sort of intellectual pride about a date and a number and a time. In our website, we have our statement of faith. And this is what we say. We say this. The coming of Christ at a time known only to God, so we got that in there, demands constant expectancy, motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. So, so look, at, look at the point there. It's very practical. When we talk about eschatology, the word eschatology comes from the Greek word eschatos, which means last, like last things. Christ's return, that's the last thing. Will there be a rapture? That's the last thing. Millennium, that's the last thing. Heaven, that's the last thing. When we talk about those things, the point is never for us to have complete knowledge of the sequence of events. That's because the Bible is not some sort of scientific textbook. It's a story of redemption. It's letters, it's poetry, it's songs. It's a story about a God who desires to be in covenant community with his people. From Genesis to Revelation, we see that common theme of covenant and community and God wanting to dwell with his people. Not, here, let me give you all the answers about everything that's going to happen. So the Bible tells us everything we need to know, but not everything we want to know. Because it's not supposed to function to promote intellectual pride. It functions to stir faith in Christ. And so the point here with the context of people passing away, the point is this, comfort. The fact that Christ is coming back again provides comfort for those who have passed away. It provides comfort for the sin and suffering and sickness. We think of Afghanistan and many of the issues going on in the world again. When we say Christ is coming back, we're not talking about guessing a date. We're saying when he does return, all of this sin will cease because then God will dwell with his people forever. What's the point? The point is personal holiness. Holiness means to be set apart, to become like Christ, to grow in godliness. That's God's plan A for each one of his people. The point is this. You don't know when Christ is returning, so be godly. Let him find you busy fulfilling your calling. Let him find you busy growing in Christ. Let him find you busy honoring him with your life in private. Because one day you will give an account to him. What's the point? The, the point is hope. How can someone live without hope? They, they just can't. It's just too difficult. But through Christianity we have hope. Because even though we have people that we love who pass away. And we have irritating people in our lives or we have sin issues in our own lives or we're experiencing some sort of trauma from childhood that we haven't dealt with we have these mental and emotional health issues we struggle with endurance and persevering and we wonder how could i keep going well part of the return of christ says it will be better one day persevere endure it will end average life expectancy for a person in America, a woman like 79, male 77, 
It's a long time. But eternity, heaven, is not 79 years or 77 years or 170 billion years. It's forever. And there will never be sin or suffering ever again. So God says, yes, I know in this fallen world you have trouble and strife and I have a plan for all of this even though you cannot see it. But one day when Christ returns, it will end. Have hope. The point is also evangelism. Sharing Christ with people in hopes of convincing them to turn from sin and believe in Christ. With family and friends and prodigal kids and neighbors and co-workers. This is a, a message to be serious about getting right with God. The return of Christ provides us comfort and hope. I was reading about uh, D.A. Carson's dad. D.A. Carson served on the E-Free Seminary for a long time. And his dad was a um, pastor in Canada. And he was just a faithful pastor for many decades. And just ba barely saw fruit in his ministry for decade after decade. And he talks about his dad. It's like a biography, sort of. And uh, his dad just had a lot of hard things happen to him, even though he was faithful to the Lord. And uh, one of the things towards the end, is the best part of the book is towards the end, and he talks about how his mom, so this is a son writing on behalf of his dad, he talks about how his mom went home to be with the Lord, but his dad had a couple more years here. And he was saying he was at the hospital with his dad. Dad looked fine, everything was great. He said, I don't know when this is going to be, but I'm just going to go home and take a shower and take a nap and come back and see my dad. Dad seemed fine. Then he got, to the, he got home, and then the nurse called, hey, dad, Tom passed away. I thought, what? He just went home really quickly, and that happened that quickly? And the point that he made was that despite being faithful to God his whole life, his dad died alone. He looks like a fear for a lot of people, and it happened to him. It's like, God, there's three kids around. I'm, one of them couldn't be there. You, you set this, you're, you're, you're in control over everything. This one event happened. And as I, as I read that story, you know, someone, we, we might be tempted to look at that and think, man, what a tragedy. He died alone after being faithful to the Lord for all that time. But it's only a tragedy if Christ didn't rise from the dead. It's only a tragedy if the Christian faith isn't true. It's only a tragedy if we don't have a promise of a better life after death. Things like that happen all the time, but what, what Paul is saying to his audience here, and the message for us today is, despite these difficulties, this potential fear of being alone in the last lap or the last days, in a nursing home or by yourself, there, there might be fears, there might be anxieties, but God will be with you. And God will get you through that. And God has been faithful this long. He's not going to leave you hanging at the end. And regardless of what happens, those who trust in Christ will have transformed bodies. They will be with the people of God. They will be with Christ forever. This is, this is part of the reason why we have the end times theology in the Bible. It's, it's not a speculation. It's about ethics 
It's about hope. It's about comfort. And we should encourage one another with these words. That's what Paul says at the end there. Verse 18, he says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, Paul, his context is like, look, you guys are way, way missing the point here. Let me give you the points and now encourage each other with this knowledge. For us, a couple thousand years later, growing up in the church, read a couple books, read the Bible once or twice, probably, probably have more knowledge than they did. But nevertheless, um, talking about the end times in the context of community with other Christians, uh, when we are grieving, when there's death, this should be an anchor of, of serving one another with hope, encouraging one another with these words. It says in Proverbs fifteen twenty three, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. How refreshing it can be to receive proper encouragement. When I was a chaplain of the football team in college, I did my first message, 17 years old, 18 years old. I think I talk fast now. I talked faster back then. Um, and the football coach was pretty much the most prestigious coach ever at that level. And he was a Christian, and he came to listen. Awesome. Did the best I could. Then he came up to me and said, David, and he's heard a lot of sermons in his life. He said, that was amazing. I was like, eh, you're just saying that. I said, no, football coach, that was really good. That was awesome. Good job. I thought, wow, that's encouraging. This guy's pretty well known. We cannot obey this verse here, verse 18, this imperative, this command to encourage one another. Uh, this word encourage is not... It's not, oh, if you feel like it, do it. It's actually a, a command in the original language. We can't do this if we don't have Christian friends. We can't do this if we're not living in Christian community. This is part of the one another passages of, we see them all throughout the New Testament. That's why small group ministries or being a part of the Sunday gathering or being a part of the people of God throughout the week is so important. It helps us to fulfill commands of scripture like this one. We don't want to become off-putting, and we definitely don't want to be preachy. It's usually just good to be quiet and listen and just sit with people. Your presence is all that matters really at first. But eventually, we need to, in a tactful, loving way, encourage people when there's grief. Hey, Christ is coming back. He will make all things new. We shouldn't feel weird about that or awkward or insecure. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They deserve our encouragement. I read a story about a little girl who asked her mom where the little girl's dad had gone after her dad had passed away. And the mom said, to be with Jesus. A few days later, the mom was sharing her grief with a friend. And the little girl overheard it. The little girl remembered what the mom said, and, she, and the little girl approached her mom and said, Mother, is a thing lost when you know where it is? No, of course not, the mom said. The little girl replied, Well, then how can Daddy be lost if he's gone to be with Jesus? The 
tremendous hope because of what Christ has done on the cross and rising from the dead. Death is hard. It's not normal. There will be tears and grief, and we won't fully understand why God allows it to happen sometimes at a young age or sometimes so abruptly. But because Christ is coming back for his people, we can have hope even in death. Let's pray. Lord, this is a hard subject. This is very difficult, but also very encouraging at the same time. It's very liberating. God, help us to have hope. Help us to experience the supernatural peace. Help us to be productive and have good time management to do good works not because they earn salvation, but because you want us to be faithful and fruitful with all that you've entrusted us. Lord, I pray for those who are fearing death, who fear it, who, who are not sure what the next season of life will hold. Lord, please grant them peace. Please grant us the faith and trust that God, you are for us. You work all things out for good. Help us to believe that promise in Jesus' name. Amen.